Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Palmer bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. On 1116 SEN, the award-winning crunch, crunch time. Get more out of April with great drive-away prices plus bonus value on a huge range of Honda models. Head to Subway and try the new hot grilled paninis. Send it towards full forward. Ryder! Didn't claim the mark, but he's kicked the goal. It was even better because it wasn't paid. He drifted over the pack, had two bites out. It was dubious if it was clean, but the goal was stunning for the boundary line. Now the handball spits back to Sam Gray, who gets around one Clever. and snaps around the body on the left and finishes in style. That's his second goal of the term and second on the left boot. DeMont's there, gives it to Aaron Hall. He's got acres of space and time, oh. and he kicks the goal. Oh. They keep coming! Port Adelaide win, not the most satisfying of victories, but they'll take the four points. The Kangaroos showed a bit of shin bonus spirit in the last quarter. They were going for it. You know, they, they didn't come over here to have a, a close loss. I wouldn't have thought with their week that they were faced with. So they, they really challenged us for, for a period in the last quarter. But I think we had enough opportunities ourselves. I think the fight was evident. We were doing a lot of things right. So it was a much improved effort. And it means that you can be competitive in games for longer. The North spirit was willing, but the limits are clear as Port Adelaide goes four and two with the promise of what's to come. Coach Ken Hinckley is our headline guest. An MCG brimming near capacity. There was slight commotion during the minute silence as a couple of patrons in the bays below us collapsed and there was the scrambling of paramedics. They turn it over and Dugowie is there to thank them very, very much. Danaher from downtown lashes at a goal. Oh, oh. gee, it's close. Oh, it's there. How do you like that? That is a proper Anzac Day bomb. Side bottom plays, Crummer stepped out of the tackle, swings at a goal. Oh, that is a touch of class from Steel side bottom. Lightning hands to Dugowie. He'll seize the moment, steer it for goal and land the blow. Jordan Bigioli, the man for the occasion. Denneher squeezed and found the path and kicked oh. the goal. Oh. Joey is back in a big way. It's not going to happen for Essendon. Collingwood have held on. What a game, what a stage. Essendon gave it absolutely everything but fell short. And unlike in that last day in September last year, this time the pies prevail. And the winner of the Anzac Day medal is Scott Pendlebury of the Collingwood Footy Club. Uh, just on behalf of both sides, I want to thank the crowd. What is it for this booing situation? Shame on anyone that booed a champion. 
the events of Anzac Day reverberates on every front, both on and off the fields. We reflect on a day of glory and controversy with a focused eye toward the umpiring. We were duped over the summer. This stuff about Melbourne being a genuine premiership contender and almost a certainty for the top four was rubbish. Yeah. What did you fall for? Well, the, the hype about Melbourne. I suppose that they'd won two finals, yeah. I think. They played the top three teams last year, and they're the benchmark, West Coast, Collingwood and Richmond. They played them six times. They won twice. Their average losing margin was 45 points. They were a fair way off it. And the revisionist history begins with Melbourne. If they weren't the team broadly imagined, when will they ever be? Plus all the talking points for the remainder of the longest round in the crunch. This is the round six edition of Crunch Time for Honda. Get more out of April with great drive-away prices plus bonus value on a huge range of Honda models. And head to Subway and try the new hot grilled paninis. Feels more like a test match. This is day four of round six with one still to play. Many a story to be told today, beginning in Queensland. And then by the end of tomorrow, Geelong and West Coast will have met and the shakeout of the natural order is starting to happen in round six. Jared Waitley with you on Crunch Time. Kane Corns was there last night. He saw it all firsthand as we run the rule over Port Adelaide's fourth win of the season. Kane, welcome. Good morning to you, Jared and Kingy and Bob. Um, a pretty impressive performance from North Adelaide. I know North uh, from Port Adelaide, I should say. I know North kicked the last five of the game, but that masked their issues. I think it's easy to look at the final score and think, well, North had a crack. I'm not sure they did have a crack last night. Lose contested by 24, clearance by seven, tackle by 11 and concede 68 points off turnovers. They've got issues all over the ground and none of them uh, were solved last night. So not so the whole week was really set up around the test of character, more so than the test of skill. You're not convinced they passed the first? No, not at, not at all. I think, you know, you look at the numbers right throughout the game. Um, they, they were beaten up around the football again. And North Melbourne have a strong history of showing up and giving consistent effort around the footy. You didn't get that. Thought it was an improved performance from Zeeble. He looked better on ball, but probably couldn't run out the game and, and fell away a little bit. But... They were, they, were, they were beaten in all aspects of the game last night. And to kick the last five is good, but it's quite easy to do that when a side switches off a little bit. They were never going to run home and win the game. So I'm not sure they should be glass half full as they're waking up this morning, as Brad Scott was in his press conference last night. Dermot Burton, we asked you to prepare a bit of a checklist on North Melbourne. Did, yes. they, did they tick any of the boxes for you? Well, I, not all of them. There's some areas where they need... I don't think they're all that far off winning... Games, Port Adelaide, by virtue of where they sit in their uh, their development, was one of the teams they'd look at knocking off. But we go through all, and, and I tend to disagree on a few minor levels that with Kane, they didn't get slaughtered at the contest where I thought that's where they might get killed. They didn't get slaughtered as the ball got taken away from stoppages. They actually won that North Melbourne. Now, we, is there a little bit of shuffling of, on the? Deck chairs on the Titanic in the last quarter in those figures because Cunnington just won everything in the middle. For me, the difference between the game was, and yeah, look, Port Power controlled it for most of the day, but I saw three definite 
opportunities that went begging how they moved the ball from 70, 60 metres out into a 25-metre range. And once you get into a 25-metre range, that's a bona fide shot at goal and most times it's a goal. And they butchered it. And they have a kid, Larky, who was playing, who seems to be a reasonable talent. I think he's playing game number four. But he just wasn't capable of reading the cues and working with his teammates to make them absolutely bona fide uh, opportunities at goal. Get them right, and there's four extra goals. Bob Murphy rounds out our crunch time. Morning, Bob. Hello, Jared. How are you? Hello, oh, Doom. On How the belief meter, what does North get out of last night? Anything? Uh, I don't think they get a whole lot to me. I, I think they were okay. I think. I think they they met the contest okay. I'm not sure the numbers here or there. I, I didn't really buy into that. One of the headlines in the Melbourne paper today was you know, bra- brave North Melbourne, and I think that was to do with the way they came home at the end, but I didn't read too much into that last 15 minutes, I think. Port, that that game was that game was done. Port Adelaide stopped. They kicked a few at the end. So. Gee, I'd love to go to a party with you two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just look when the game's on the line, Derm. I, I look at that and second quarter game is on the line. Port Adelaide had seven scoring shots to one. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're beaten by twenty two in a quarter in contested ball. That that's what I look at. That's that's when the game's on the line, and, and I completely get. The missed opportunities, and there was just some little fumbles. You know, I think it was Zerha fumble, crumbing could have had a shot for goal, goes up the other end, and they score. I get all of that. And watched Ben Brown last night. His work rate was extraordinary. So I wanted to have a real close look at him. You would have been impressed watching him live, Dern, but you look at it, and he gets nothing to show for it because of the the poor ball use up the field. But I'm not as concerned about that. I'm, I'm concerned about North Melbourne, and they have a DNA about them where, regardless of where they are on their ladder, what personnel they've got, they turn up and they have a crack and they at least break even or win contested footy. To, to, to lose by the way that they did in that area last night and to lose tackle as well and, and then you get that the poor ball use where you put Adelaide just feasters off their turnovers and had you know 16 shots from turnover. I, I just There's not one area that there's a number of issues for them, a little bit like Melbourne at the moment. It's not just let's fix this and we'll be okay. There's a number of issues that they've got and, um, yeah, I wouldn't like to be yeah. a coach. No doubt. The right team won but without – and they were never really going to lose. But the hallmark – the overview was, as you were calling, Jared, the overview was – Five goals down at half time, and the game's going a certain way. And even though they're having a go, they couldn't arrest the problem. So the the overview was it was a minimum ten goal win. If a team falls away, it's a fifteen goal win. And they lost by the, sixteen, 16 yeah. points. So yeah, there there was a bit of wallpapering over the cracks in the end, but they had every possibility of getting down by twelve goals last night. And they got done by two and a bit. Throughout the morning, we'll have the Star 21 open line. Your world, endless possibilities there for you. one 736 736 Tony in East Melbourne was on the line, I think, the moment that we played the theme. So, Tony, <laughs> what have you got for us? Boy, boy, oh boy. Uh, with those uh, cracks being papered over, I'm a, I've got reserve seats. You know, we watch them with my son. We, when we go to switch the ball, Dermy, 
there's no yardage. We go back every single time. And even when you looked at Port, they were looking to switch at 45. Our, our skills, we can't hit a handball two to three metres away. Yet in a contest, if I'm getting tackled, I give it straight to the guy and he's half a metre away. The bloke just moves straight onto him. It's, it's just turnovers. We use the ball way too much when we're not skilled enough to use it. So therefore, we've got to get some length in the kicks. And you're dead right about when we're moving into the forward line. When the cameras aren't on Brownie, he would lead two to three times at least before they even look long to give it to him. And by then, they've all fluttered back on him. It's just very, very disappointing so the way we're playing. Yeah. So, Tony, the question in this, and I'll give it to Derm, is so three of their next four are against Carlton, Sydney, and the Western Bulldogs. So we're going to take a stab that those are teams in their tier. What's inherent and what's fixable to take your slice out of those games? From what I'm seeing around the ball is they, as soon as you say some to somebody, we want you to give everything, and that's pretty well that was bestowed upon them this week. We want you to show shin bone of spirit and as soon as you think that you think go to the source just be ferocious be take bodies take the ball take everything you can take no prisoners go to the source go to the actual pill and good teams will be able to say well we got a couple of bulls in there we'll leave those bulls in there and you can all come in at us and we'll keep us you know a few on the outside if the bulls win it they flick it over the top it's on the outside and which is what which is what we saw early, early. Essendon against yeah. St Kilda in round. So Essendon criticised during the week around just all about effort intensity. So that they get you know they wound get so up work, and they wound up and they have get, to go at it and like bees to the honeypot. And St Kilda are able just to sort of yeah. set up a bit better and, and hurt them that way. So it, yeah, it is when you overcorrect one way, you do leave yourself vulnerable. Yeah. So life. so that's capable of happening. If you have mature players, and this is where someone like a uh, a Luke Hodge or even a Jordan Lewis at Melbourne who's not playing great footy but they're invaluable because as soon as the ball goes up the other end or if there's a goal kicked against them because of the error, they'll bring them in and say, guys, we cannot all do that. We cannot do that mistake again, make that mistake again. Just sit to the outside one, you or you or They just organise them better like that. And in-game coaching like that is invaluable. North Melbourne, do they have those in-game coaches? It's pretty hard to determine who would be it. I think Cunnington's one of those real strapping bulls, but I don't know if he's all that vocal towards his teammates. He's definitely vocal towards the opposition. Hard to be that person who can see... Yep. If you're right in it, your nose is right in the trough. He's all... I mean, he... That's his... So they've got the feasibly. I was just they are say, huge chances against all three upcoming opponents, Jared. Yeah, Kane, sorry, Jared, Kane. You meant, Jared, you mentioned that the next three are around the same tier as North Melbourne, but but I compare the two sides last night. So they both won twelve last year and both finished a game outside the eight. North Melbourne went one way, didn't they? With yep. with their list build, so they bring in the four mature players. Port Adelaide go the other way. Out goes Pittard. Out goes Polek, Wingard's mature player, gone, they go young. Port Adelaide, the fourth youngest list in the competition average age. So when you're talking about on-field coaches and on-field leaders, well, Port Adelaide don't necessarily have that. Ollie Wines is a young captain. Tom Jonas wasn't there. 
Travis Boak w- was out there and was sensational. But uh, the difference that each side went in the off-season and the dividends that that's paid off for Port Adelaide with some youth, with some extreme talent and excitement was on display last night. So I just think North Melbourne got it wrong with the way they went about it and knowing exactly where their list sat at the end of last year. Yeah, that's a canny comparison. That, that That's right. Is you put but three, that's dead. That's that, done. That, that's dead, yes. It's but last done. night does give you the chance to go. So this is one mode and this is the other mode. And when they met... Yeah. They're poles apart and going in opposite directions. To, so I, to me, that's like if I had bought flowers at the right time, I wouldn't be divorced. Yeah, but part of what North Melbourne yeah. is doing is assessing the strategic decisions that they made. What did they get wrong? And, yeah. and that's going – so last night is a very relevant piece of information for that. That's fine, and I agree with that. But you can't back over no. that now. No. Um We'll take more calls on the Star 21 open line, one 736 736 Your world, endless possibilities, one 321 uh, Next, Ken Hinckley. So we'll do the Port Adelaide side of the equation and then drift back to some of those overriding questions on North Melbourne. This is Crunch Time. Great offers on Honda this April and try the new hot grilled paninis at Subway. The award-winning Crunch, Crunch Time. Time. Get more out of April with great drive-away prices plus bonus value on a huge range of Honda models. Head to Subway and try the new hot grilled paninis. Reflecting on Port Adelaide, 16-point win over North Melbourne last night, I do want to make it clear that I didn't miss Derms if I'd bought flowers, I'd still be married. And we probably will come back to that in the crunch <laughs> when we get to the really serious issues. I've moved on. <laughs> Jared Waitley, Dermot Burton, Kane Corns and Bob Murphy on Crunch Time. The Port Adelaide coach, Ken Hinckley, is with us. Kenny, welcome. Morning, boys. By this stage of Saturday, how much of last night have you looked back on? Oh, not a lot, yep. not a lot. Um, you, know, you get a look a little bit late last night, but then you um, you do actually need to to take a little bit of a breather and, and spell and have a look at it, but that'll be today. We've got Magpies playing today and a bit of other stuff, but yeah, you know, reflect on the moments clearly in your mind, but to visually look at it again, it takes me a little while to get there. Do you have some strong impressions that are, are reverberating around in your mind at the moment? Yeah, look, I think we're, we're playing some reasonably consistent footy. We're having some little patches where we're, you know, we let things go at a, from a level that we expect them to be at, and um, but overall, to be to be where we are today at four and two with a you know a, a really challenging start of the season, we we sit there going, okay, we we could have been in a far worse position. We'll delve into the individuals and the overall good. Just give me your reflection. What, what's the last fifteen minutes mean to you? Oh, I mean, some work to be done on um, you know some accuracy in front of goal. I think too, as much as any gas at the other end, we we gave up five straight, but we kicked two seven. You know, we. We should have put North Melbourne away, and we should understand that North Melbourne were, uh, you know, they're playing for everything. They had a fair bit of build up through that whole week, and they're always going to fight and always going to uh, give it their absolute best right to the end. And for our blokes, you know, it's a lesson to be learned that you know you, you just you just got to keep your foot down and you just got to make sure you make the most of your opportunities. Did the Richmond experience a couple of weeks ago serve you well in the build up to the game, where you've got a team who's under siege coming over to your deck? Not so much, Jared, to be honest, because we don't spend too much time, you know, going back on those games as much as everyone else, in, you know, in the media do reflect on a lot of that. Because as I said last night, the game we we spend every week thinking about winning and how we're going to win, and you know, and, and we certainly maximise our opportunities. That and we talk about learnings out of every game, whether that be inside fifty method, whether that be ball control, whether that be defensive method. We certainly are reviewing that regularly. So we always are probably always learning about every game, even the West Coast game. You learn about you know what you did really well. So. There's always learnings, but the reflection of the Richmond game wasn't significant in our minds. 
And that may answer my next question, Kenny. Um, how much do you reflect on last year when you're 11 and four, you're second on the ladder after 16 rounds in a great position, but then you win one out of the next seven. You're in a magnificent position now to start the year at four and two. What did you learn from that last year? Oh, look, we make, obviously came, we've made some significant change and, you know, we're, we're a totally different team. So there's a, there's a fair bit to be taken out of. Well, it's a, a new experience. Whatever happens for us for the remainder of this season is, is going to be an experience for a lot of people. And, you know, we're probably the only team in the competition, I think, that after six rounds of that, you know, four debutants play the whole four, a whole six games, you know, it says a bit about what the side is. So, you know, to reflect too much on the past can be, for us as coaches, it's good. We can reflect and look at what we did and through that back end of the season and go, okay, well, we, we felt as if we may have wore ourselves out a little bit. So one of the things that we're consistently doing from the start of this year is keeping our midfield group as fresh as we can possibly keep them. So there's always some challenges in the within the season and last year's ones at the end of the season were a bit difficult. Mm. So you, you felt as a side... The, the team and the midfield in particular got weary towards the back end. How, how do you keep them fresh? Oh, that's what I just said. We you know we, we feel like the we, we we got it. We lost a few soldiers too at that same time. So it's not just in in one position, but you know we, you need to have power through the middle of the ground as best you can possibly get it. And and for us, we've done that. Um, you know, this year with a with a with a bigger number of players going through there, I think. And we've also had you know Rockcliffe back in form, both playing some unbelievable football through the midfield and. You know, we, we, we challenge that with a bit of Drew and a bit of Dersma and, you know, some different people going through there. And, you know, Evert's played more forward. So when he goes in there, he's a bit more explosive for us mm. as well. So, you know, we've made some structural change there that's helped. Ken, Kenny, Bob here. Congratulations on last night. We're, I'm interested in Connor Rosie. He's, he looks like a... a, a we all are, Bob. A, yeah, he, he looks like a, a star already. Can I, can I ask you, you guys were so busy last off-season with trades and manoeuvring yourself in the draft... How deliberate was it to get that early pick to go after Connor, or was it, or was it just to get higher up that draft order? Uh, look, it'd be wrong of me not to say we went after Connor. We did go after Connor, and Jason Cripps and Jeff Parker had made no no secret of the fact that they were really really keen. Look, they were really keen to get either of the South Australians. Is, is the first point, um, you know? But obviously, we we, we expected that uh, Rankin and, and Lacocious would be gone, so we knew Connor was going to be there. We knew he's playing football at North Adelaide. Knew he's a significant player at Sample in a grand final. We just wanted him. We we needed to be up as high as we could because you know, let's be honest, we had to be in front of Adelaide if we're going to get to South Australian talent. We had to be in front of Adelaide, and we uh, you know the planning was to get as high as we could to get as a South Australian player. Always good to get a little bonus win over the Crows. Can I? What about the other end of the spectrum with Travis Boak? Are you surprised by his early season form? Did you think he had it in him to this level? No, and Kane wouldn't. Kane knows as well as anyone there that how, how hard Travis prepared and. His body's in physically great shape, and he, he does everything he can to maximise every ounce of his um, his performance. And you know, his last couple of years—I've said this a few times now—because his form in the midfield's been so strong. But his form as a high forward in the role we had him playing, I think he ranked in the top four in the competition in that role by Champion Data. So he wasn't having a terrible performance year; he was just having a different performance year in a different position. So, um, but his form this year's been—you know—it's been phenomenal. To be fair, he's, um, he's he's absolutely knocking the socks off everything, and. Uh, you know, uh, I hope it continues. Kenny, in round one, the, the big win over the Demons on the MCG, you, you called it at the time, that might be the best win you've been a part of at Port Adelaide. If you forecast this next week against against Collingwood, could that potentially be bigger than that one? <laughs> yeah, sometimes, um, you know, and I don't, I don't retract from the comments, because round one this year for us was such a significant 
build up and you know we we had a really really strong opponent to go up against traveling away and you know we had to come together as a football team for the first time and perform and we certainly did that really well you know and we look forward to this week's game but you know last week's game against west coast this week's last last night's game against north melbourne on the big stage next week's game is collingwood they continually get big. I mean, the, the season will, will change and there'll be different games that'll be built up differently because the position's on the ladder. We just look forward to the opportunity, I think, next Friday to, to take on what, what we perhaps consider one of the best two teams in the competition. No doubt about that. Ken, last week your planning was meticulous and it was a beautiful game plan. It wasn't beautiful by any stretch of the means, but it was a beautiful result for you. You hunted the opposition. Was there an element of chance that you could have been the hunted last night? Oh, there was no doubt, Dermot. The, as I said, the, we understood what North Melbourne were going to be bringing and we understood, you know, we respect every team in this competition. When you when you get put under the blower a fair bit, you do you do respond and, and we knew that was going to be the case. We knew Jack Zeeble was going to be a stronger, better player than he was the week before. We just knew that they were going to be much harder work for, for any team that they were coming up against last night and we, we were aware of that. So... To be hunted or or to be the target of, of their hunt is, is something that we um, you know we needed to embrace and you know for most part of the night, probably the last fifteen minutes, we did it pretty well. Absolutely, uh, the centre bounce clues. I mean, you, you controlled the midfield for most of the night, but the centre bounce clues was one slim area they got you on statistically wise. Uh, obviously, Cunnington was incredibly good in there. Yeah, he was, and Golson I thought rocked really well against our two big bikes too. So. You know, I think they had a, um, you know, they worked really hard. Um, Cunnington, Ben Cunnington is such a great clearance player and he's, you know, he's such a yeah. talented person. But, uh, you know, we, we, we tried to beat them a match and there. I think it was, you know, it was pretty reasonably level. But when they got on top, they certainly got on top through that part of the ground. To that end, do you feel in the clearance, in the centre bounce and, and even around the ground, you're better balanced as a team now with... Uh, some of these kids have really jumped up. I think you might have expected one or two of them to play every game to round six, but all four of these first-year players, do you feel you're better balanced around the stoppage now? Yeah, I think so. I think um, Jared Schofield and Scotty Thompson, who are looking after our midfield now, understand that you know, they're working with some younger boys, they're working with some older boys, and also working with some emerging boys with you know Scott, uh, with Power Pepper and people like that. And Drew's in his third year. He's not a... You know, but he's played, had his first games this year. So there's a bit of freshness about us, you know. And then as Westy comes back around the wing, got Dersmer on another wing at times. You know, you're right. I mean, we feel we feel like we've got a good a, a good number of players, as I said earlier, that can go through there, which gives you good balance. It gives you an opportunity to change up when it's not quite working, and it's a different look for the oppo. I know you couldn't give a stuff about what the media thinks, but most of the media wouldn't have had you at four and two. So now that you are at four and two. How big can this season be for Port Adelaide? We don't know, Dan. We uh, we sit back and said at the start of the season, we, we like every side of trying to make finals. We still feel like that's our goal. We, we're trying to make finals. We understand that, you know, with every season, there's challenges. You know, we, we've got to four and two without Dixon, without Hartlett, you know, without Jonas last night, you know, and, and we've had some challenges along the way and they'll continue. But so you just don't know how big the challenges are. So for us, we're just going to give an absolute best account of ourselves week in, week out and try to be that really consistent football team and, and I've said this to the boys, we're going to win some, we're going to lose some. We expect that to happen, but we're not going to change from the way we're supposed to play and look when we do go out. Tell us what it's like as a coach. How are you, or what time of the evening were you alerted to the fact that Higgins is at the ground, he's no longer at the ground, he's just jumped in a, 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 an ambulance to go to hospital? And what, what, what does that do to your preparation? 
didn't do anything to our prep, but we were, you know, we found out very late. But we also were dealing with the fact that we had Jonas out ourselves. So, yep. you know, we, you know, we'd lost our captain. They'd lost one of their premier midfielders. So it was, a, you know, probably, probably felt like it was a, you know, almost squared off a bit there in that situation. But so for us, we didn't spend any time worrying about it. We were more, um, you know, we we're more concerned about the way we wanted to play. And I'm sure the players, I'm sure some of the co- me, the coach, and other coaches were saying, oh, I'm glad he's not out there. Yeah. But we're also equally as nervous about why Tommy's not out there. And, um, you know, we've got this really young back line going to be led by Tom Cleary without uh, without our captain down back. So, you know, it made us a little nervous more about the Jonas injury, to be honest. Final one for me. Butters, Drew, Dersma, Rosie, we've mentioned them several times already. Did you think they would play six out of six, all first-year players? <laughs> no, I look... I, I love playing for. I love playing young people. I, I've always been that way, and Kane could uh, back me up on that. I've always liked putting in young people. If they train hard, work hard, and they deserve their spot, not just to give them games. And I think that was critically important at the start of the year. The boys all deserve their games, and you know, whilst they deserve their games, they should get picked. And you know, I, I didn't know whether they're going to play every game, as you said, to this point. I'm hopeful that they're going to play every game from now to the end of the year, but we'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, am I correct in, in assuming too that I've heard that? You don't uh, align yourself with the theory you've got to give the kids a rest at some stage. You'll play them until, until they're not playing well enough to be in the team anymore. Is that mildly correct? No, that's exactly correct. That's, that's <laughs> just the way I believe. I don't, I don't think you need to. Um, now, that's just my own thoughts. It's no one else, and I don't judge anyone else by whatever they do. But from my point of view, I've always thought, why put a player out of the team in good form if they're contributing to the team's success? Or you know, and I think that's really important. But if they're not, there's obviously when they're young people, you can sometimes put them out of the side and not play them at the level low underneath just to give them a rest, physical rest, because sometimes that can influence them. But from my point of view, I think form's their number one thing that I'm going to look at, and if their form's good enough, they'll get picked. With Rosie Kenny, there's I think there's been a temptation in Victoria to shut the gate on the rising star with Sam Walsh, um, even before he played a game, and he's been accumulating stats. Do you hope that the pundits and the judges keep their minds open and make sure they look towards what's happening at uh, at Port Adelaide? Oh, look, I, I think they will, and I think they should. And, you know, Connor's demonstration in the first six weeks, it, it'd be hard to argue that he's... If Sam's a clear one, but Connor's not a clear two. So it's it, it's pretty simple, I reckon, at the moment. Let them play a full season. Don't put any extra on each, any of the boys and judge them on merit at the end of the season. And whether that's Connor for us or Zach or um, you know Willem or, or Xavier Dersma, or even Todd Marshall qualifies for the, for the Rising Star still because he's only played 10 games leading into this year. So... Uh, there's a bit bit in our camp that says we we'll we'll be amongst it at the end, but let's let all those young blokes. And I've seen so many young blokes. I've seen Clark at Geelong play well. You know, seen Sydney stack last week. It's such a good year for young people coming into the comp. Kenny, you've got a big whiteboard in your office, and there's some magnets on it. Or certainly there was in my time when when you were shuffling those magnets around in January, and you were putting up your best team back then. Was Sam Gray's name on that board in your best 22 in say January? Yeah, he was in the 22. I think that for Sam, the biggest concern for Sam was he uh, had come off a significant ankle injury at the end of back end of last year. Another one of those players that, that lost their ability to, to play at their level because of injury, you know. And uh, he had some surgery, and then he had some late surgery again at the end of last year. So there was some there was some doubt whether Sam would be physically fit enough to get going. He took a little while to get to get rolling, but once he's got his running power back, he's um, you know his last two weeks have been outstanding for us. Um, and that's the level he's capable of. Uh, I hope he can continue for the rest of the year. And just one more. So much spoken about the young players. I hope Tom Cleary's performance this year hasn't been overshadowed by the likes of Boke, who's been enormous, and the young players. But 
If he's not uh, in the back line of the All-Australian squad right now, I'd be pretty surprised, Kenny. He's an outstanding start. Uh, look, if, if again, you look at the back end of last year when we lost Jones for a couple of games, um, gee, he, was, uh, he led them, and he led them really well. And there's a bloke that I, I don't think many people would even know who Tom Cleary is still today, yep. but... Uh, he, he, he just gets the job done. He's such a strong player with, in a contest. He's a physical beast. And then he's such a good runner, as you know, and, and he's also a great kick on both sides of his body. So he's got a good mix for a, you know, for a last-line defender. Kenny, we will see you again on Friday night uh, over in Melbourne against Collingwood. Well done so far. Go on, you boys. Look forward to it. Ken Hinckley with us on Crunch Time. We'll come back in our three key takeouts out of last night's and uh, pick over the last of what's there from Port's win over North Melbourne. Uh, Russell Barwick from Unibet. Get footy fill-ups every week at unibet.com.au. Russ. Yes, Jared. and today's footy fill-up is a real beauty if you're a Sydney Swans fan. I know you haven't had too much to cheer about so far. Two sixty-five at the moment, $1.48 the Giants, but... The footy fill-up, the Swans, $3.50 at unibet.com.au if you want to go to that website. But the earlier games, not a lot of interest. Gold Coast, Brisbane, two ninety-five. The Suns, $1.47. The Lions and giving up 17 and a half start. But the big move has been St Kilda. When they opened the markets earlier this week, St Kilda, $2.05. Now, $1.76 and giving up 8.5 to the Adelaide Crows. So that is a fair old go and a especially when you're talking about the Saints. Finally, people are believing that they are a genuine top eight side and sitting uh, at the northern point of the ladder, that's for sure. All of the odds, all of the markets, first goal scorer, last goal scorer, half full doubles, all of it there on the website, unibet.com.au. And just repeating that fill-up for today is the Sydney Swans, $3.50 to take care of the Giants at $1.48. Later tonight at the SCG, Jarrett. Thanks, Russ. Get legendary tips at uh, on At Odds with Junior Fletch and Hammer. Watch the latest episode at unibet.com.au. You news... This afternoon, Bryce Gibbs is going to be a late withdrawal from the Adelaide side. He has a bout of gastro. Uh, We will take you out into the middle of the MCG in the most frenzied moments of Anzac Day. Straight after the break, we'll get some analysis, some dissection of how it unfolded and whether it was right. That'll be on Crunch Time. Great offers on Honda this April and try the new hot-grilled paninis at Subway. The award-winning Crunch Time. Get more out of April with great drive-away prices plus bonus value on a huge range of Honda models. Head to Subway and try the new hot-grilled paninis. Jared Waitley, Dermot Brereton, Kane Corns, Bob Murphy with you this Saturday morning. We're in the midst of round six. So much of the discussion still centres on what happens at the end on Anzac Day and there's been furor and controversy surrounding the umpiring in the discourse, in the mood of the Essendon people and then what's spilt out in the aftermath. The three umpires were Andrew Stevens. Brendan Hosking and Sean Ryan, one of the AFL's most senior figures. And Sean is with us on Crunch Time. Good morning to you, Sean. Hey, boys, how are you? Good. Have you had the sense of being under siege in the last 48 hours? Oh, there's been a bit of chat, no doubt. But, um, oh, look, over, what is it, 16, 17 years, I've been involved in a few of those. But, yeah, certainly there's been plenty of discussion. The atmosphere in the last 10 minutes or so, which built and built, how intense is that in amongst all that you've experienced? It's right up there, yeah. I was chatting to the other two guys, obviously, um, younger guys, one was first Anzac Day, um, Evo and Hosko is second. So, yeah, in my experience, probably in the top three most intense games I've ever done. At boiling point, did you feel by the end? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, 
really two of the clear examples were when the players stopped and there was no whistle. And I mean, that's happened in my games maybe two or three times over the years, but really that's just the result of, you know, that the, the noise level, the players just can't hear whether or not there's been a whistle. And, you know, because of the scream of the crowd, they assume there's been a whistle and they stop and have a look at us and we're calling play on. And, you know, it's not ideal, but I think, you know, we just need to adjudicate in accordance with the rules and, and the players, um, there's going to be circumstances where they just can't hear the whistle by reason of the crowd noise. So I'm going to walk through the five moments of contention as the last quarter builds. Um, ha- have you done your formal review? We have, yeah. How'd, so there's the perception in the community that um, the umpiring was poor on the day. Is that matched by the review? Uh, no, it's not actually. It's, to be honest, it's probably the other way. Um, but, I mean, we've, there's errors in the game, and I think there was a couple of marking contests where um, I think Mason Cox, from memory, got paid a, a free kick. Um, and, you know, on review, the best call would have been to play for play on. Um, and there was another one where an Eston player got a free kick, I think, for a hold in the last quarter where he kicked a goal. And on review, uh, although the umpire who had that play had a clear sight of the Eston player being held, from the other angle you can see that the Eston player was also um, holding the Collingwood player. So, um, you know, there was definitely some errors. But in terms of the five in the last quarter, yeah, happy to run through those. Um, and really, you know, from our perspective, that's, probably more coming down to an understanding of the complications of the holding the ball rule um, and, and you know, the application of it. All right. These will be, uh, I'm sure, clearer in your mind so you can talk us through them. So uh, the first, yeah, I sure. think, is Hoskin Elliott, who uh, yeah. he won the holding the ball decision. Yeah, and I, th- I think if we start from, you know, what is the holding the ball rule? And I think everyone agrees, um, you know, to the public, it's a very complicated rule and, you know, to I suppose to dumb down the rule, really the attention needs to be, the focus needs to be on did the player have a prior opportunity or didn't he have a prior opportunity? And then what flows from that will differ. And so in the first example of Hoskin Elliott, he has a prior opportunity. Once he's tackled, his obligation is he must handball or kick the ball. So he needs to dispose. And um, you can hear the umpire call play on handball and on the review, when they replay it, you can clearly see that he does get a handball. It's not a massive handball. goes about half a metre to a metre, but um, it's a handball. And so we ask the player once tackled to handball it. Once he does handball it, we can't penalise him for holding the ball. So And the fist just um, has to make contact. Even a snick with the fist is constituted as a uh, constitutes a handball. Yeah, exactly, because we can't draw lines and say, oh, we want a big handball or a handball that goes more than one or two metres. Basically, once the fist hits the ball, it's classified as a handball. And so that's what we ask him to do. And given um, he did that, and I think anyone who's seen the replay can can see that he does get a fist to the ball. Ball goes, uh, changes direction, goes about a metre or so. Well, that's classified as a, a handball. And so it has to be a play on call, which it was. Now, what happens is um, the crowd roar, one of the players stops, um, then there's, he sees the umpire call play on and then play continues. Crisp is, I think this is the trigger point. So he gets run down by Danaher. This is the one where play stops. Yeah, and so um, this is the one where he has a, a prior opportunity. The first tackle doesn't stick. 
Um, and then the second tackle um, takes him to ground. And again, because he's had a prior opportunity, he must either handball or kick the ball. And clearly on the replay, he handballs the ball. And so we can't penalise a player for holding the ball when he actually disposes of the football. You know, it's against the whole um, preface of the, of the rule. So um, in that circumstance, you know, I think, I suppose part of the outrage is he had such a long time to, to get rid of the ball. But the first tackle doesn't stick. Um, the second tackle takes him to ground. He now must handball the ball, and he does handball the ball. So the correct course, play on. So the players shouldn't have stopped. No, and um, whether that was... I, I think clearly, because of the roar, the players would not have known whether there was a whistle um, went or not. Um, I can understand that, and I think they've assumed by reason of the roar of the crowd that a free kick must have been paid, and so the players have stopped, and then once they've seen the umpire call play on, then they started playing again. So, Did Scott Pendlebury duck for high contact? No, he clearly doesn't duck. I think, the, I think some of the commentary has been around whether he, um, I think the words put mayo on it or souped it up, but Scott Pendlebury's um, put his head down to pick up the ball. Now, you know, the fundamental basis of our rules is to protect the player who goes the ball. And so he puts his head down to pick up the ball and then um, two Essendon players meet him front on and there's contact to the head. Now, the only time that that will not be a free kick is if the Essendon players are stationary and Scott Pendlebury actually runs into the Essendon players. That's, that's when we must call play on. But in that scenario, Scott's put his head down to pick up the ball the Essendon players move towards him and make contact to his head. So you have to pay a free kick. And I think we'd all agree, you know, in circumstances where a player's putting his head down in an attempt to get the ball, we need to protect him. Did Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody get taken high? Yeah, well, this is a, I mean, this is a really good call. I think the umpire was Brennan Hosking. And what you, the rule came in about, the, the, the change to the high tackle rule came in about three years ago where... Um, the AFL wanted to not award free kicks to players who contributed to the tackle going high. And this is a great example of that, where the tackle gets Anthony around the arm initially, and then in an effort to sort of get out of the tackle, he lifts his arm, and then the tackle goes around the neck. And so that's the very reason that amendment to the rule came in, because the tackler did everything we asked of him, didn't take him high initially, and then when Anthony tried to get out of the tackle, he lifted his arm to try and shrug out of the tackle, which caused the the um, arm to go around the neck. So, you know, you can see this all unfolding in a split second, but when you slow mow it down and you see exactly what the umpire processed, it's, I mean, in my view, it's a pretty impressive call from a young umpire. And then Callum Brown with the push in the back call and the little sequence that leads up to that, was that, was that all adjudged correctly? Yeah. Yeah, so if I can go through that one, that's 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 prior opportunity, for, but from a different perspective. So that's prior op- uh, that's holding the ball without a prior opportunity. So we've spoken um, the first two examples of holding the ball was where a player did have prior opportunity. This is a scenario where um, I think it's Stevenson doesn't have a prior opportunity. So then, what the player must do then is make an attempt to kick or handball. He doesn't have to successfully kick or handball and. You know, you will constantly hear, um, you know, through supporters or commentary, how did the player dispose of that? Well, 
what we need to remember is that when a player doesn't have a prior opportunity, he doesn't need to successfully dispose. He only needs to attempt to dispose. Now, in this case, he actually does um, dispose in that he ends up getting a, a kick to the ball. But even if he didn't get a kick to the ball, the fact that he attempts to kick the ball would be enough. So in this scenario, he has no prior opportunity. He's tackled and then... He throws the boot, uh, the ball to the boot and the and, and gets a kick away, a very small one, but it's a it's a kick, and so play on must be the call. Then what happens is Callum Brown's that's, that's um, a clear free kick put, in the back. So I've just a, got a minute left, Sean. Here, so the five yep, most sure. contentious decisions are for all being adjudged as correct. Is that right? That's that's true. They're all correct, and again, like I said, there's still mistakes during the game. But in terms of those um, five ones in the last quarter, I hope that gives some clarity about, you know, what the rule is and um, and how they were um, adjudicated on the day. Why didn't the AFL tell us that yesterday and quell some of the furor? Well, you know, there's a really thorough review that goes, uh, that takes place. And so they, um, you know, spent a lot of time slow-mowing, going through all of them and making sure, you know, we're the first ones to come out and say their mistakes if they're mistakes, because we need to try and educate everyone what the rule is and what the what the outcome is. And so they want to make sure that if they come out and say that, um, mm. you know, these are correct or these are mistakes, that they've got it right. So yeah. they're really... Well, you've done that effect. for us, Sean, uh, and I think we're all appreciative Thanks, of it. The award-winning Crunch Time. Get more out of April with great drive-away prices plus bonus value on a huge range of Honda models. Head to Subway and try the new hot grilled paninis. Round six of this season has already provided so much across three days. The critical mass of games is still to come on Saturday and Sunday. We've got an eye towards those coming up on Crunch Time. It's Jared Waitley, Dermot Burton, Bob Murphy and Kane Corns. Uh, the three key takeaways from what we've seen so far for Crunchy Corn, the ultimate footy snack available at Coles. For those that have been with us, Sean Ryan just joined us. Um, one of the three central umpires in the senior figure, from Anzac Day, Essendon and Collingwood. He's walked us through the five contentious decisions which led, uh, led to such unrest and then evidently what happens after the siren. All five have been reviewed and to be adjudged correctly paid by the umpires. Bob, is, what did you think listening to Sean? Fascinating insight from Sean. I would have loved to have had a, a visual aid while yes, Stu was yep. explaining. So, and I've, I've, I've sat in a, an umpire's review before and it was it was really, really interesting. The one... Uh, and I'll... So I take his word for it. The one that is still the question mark for me is the crisp tackle of having already been given prior opportunity, gets tackled, the tackle not good enough, missed, then crisp brought to ground, then he handballs or kick. That's where I think we might be drifting in the spirit of the game. I think once that second tackle brings him to ground, that should be a free kick. Yes, because he got beaten by it got regardless beaten. of yep. the handball at the end. Yeah, So that might not be technical, but this is where I think – for spirit of the game, especially because it's the second attempt of that tackle. So prior is really hot then. Kane, there, was another, it, yeah. Yeah, there was another one as well, similar. Uh, Saad's amazing rundown tackle of Josh Thomas. Now, I don't think it was in the last quarter from memory, but it was another contentious one, Jared, where he was brought to ground. He was given a fair amount of time to dispose of the ball. Eventually, he did dispose of it correctly, but 
there's got to be a there's got to be a time limit on that, doesn't there? I think I think you do need to reward the tackle as well. So it de- definitely centres around the holding the ball. And when Sean speaks, you think, well, yeah, he makes sense, doesn't he? I mean, they, to the to the letter of the law, they've gone through it and they've analysed it and they've ticked it off. But it, it does frustrate fans, though. Very rarely do we hear when there's a mistake made or if there's any accountability for um, significant mistakes being made. And they don't often, he said they're happy to put their hand up, they don't often come out publicly and say, well, we got that one wrong. And I think that does frustrate fans out there. So he illustrated that the Bagley marking contest, which led to a goal, was wrong. And there was a, a one earlier in the match around Mason Cox. So this is a little of what Sean Ryan had to say. The other two guys, obviously, um, younger guys. One was first Anzac Day, um, Evo and Hosko, his second. So, yeah, in my experience, probably in the top three most intense games I've ever done. At boiling point, did you feel by the end? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, really, two of the clear examples were when the players stopped and there was no whistle. And I mean, that's happened in my games maybe two or three times over the years, but really that's just the result of, you know, that, the, the noise level, the players just can't hear whether or not there's been a whistle. And, you know, because of the scream of the crowd, they assume there's been a whistle and they stop and have a look at us and we're calling play on. And, you know, it's not ideal, but I think, you know, we just need to adjudicate in accordance with the rules. And, and the players, um, there's going to be circumstances where they just can't hear the whistle by reason of the crowd noise. Dem, does what does it do to your thinking around the, the umpiring, which has been... Or broadly such a talking point, but particularly at the end of that Anzac Day match? I, I watching, thought they were line ballish decisions. And there were various times during the game I thought it went to and fro and there were decisions which went in a team's favour which perhaps shouldn't. Bob and I were just talking a little bit before about... And I, I know the Essendon fans probably feel more aggrieved, but young Guelphie got a free kick when um, Brodie Grundy tackled him and could not have applied the tackle more perfectly, yet he got the free kick and the shot, a resultant shot at goal. Look, I, I, I still do worry for the umpiring fraternity, what we're asking of them. There are some situations where I think that just shouldn't have been – you just should not get that wrong, but they, uh, they do. But then you understand how difficult their task is. And I'm probably, over the years, been one who's led the charge against the umpires, but I'm, I'm actually feeling in sympathy for them at the moment because I think people were looking for a scapegoat to vent their anger on on Thursday, and I don't think it should have been the umpires. I, I think it was fairly well adjudicated at the end of the game in very def- difficult circumstances, and I'm not trying to sit on the fence or far be it from it. So... I think we sort of have to acknowledge it. It's an interesting week. Is Sean um, joins us, as Steve Hocking earlier in the week said, as a community, fans, commentators, the lot, we have to think about how we talk about umpiring and how we direct the criticism toward it. But we have to acknowledge that by the end, Essendon fans at the punt road end are not seeing the game clearly. They're seeing the game emotionally. Hmm. Once the review is conducted and those five decisions are judged to be right. I think the AFL should support their umpires publicly and mm. as quickly as possible add into the discussion and it to be debated. Hey, by the way, we've gone through this. Are entirely comfortable as Sean told us a few moments ago. They're all correct, and again, like I said, there's still mistakes during the game. But in terms of those um, five ones in the last quarter, I hope that gives some clarity about you know what the rule is and 
um, and how they were um, adjudicated on the day. Why didn't the AFL tell us that yesterday and quell some of the furor? Well, you know, there's a really thorough review that goes um, that takes place, and so they, um, you know, spent a lot of time slow mowing, going through all of them, and making sure, you know, we're the first ones to come out and say their mistakes, if their mistakes, because we need to try and educate everyone what the rule is and what the what the outcome is, and so they want to make sure that if they come out and say that, um, mm. you know, these are correct or these are mistakes, that they've got it right. The issue there, and I. That's feasible, and I think we all love to hear the reasoning. Is ah right, I've got clarity. The issue there is, if in situations where a decision is the last decision of the match and it affects affects the, the outcome, do you come out then and say we got that one wrong because there's hell to pay? And if you stay silent on it, you, you look like you've got egg on your face. So you're almost damned if you do, damned if mm-hmm. you don't. And I, as I say, in this circumstances, because it wasn't the last kick of the match, but there, it could have been contributing to the the result going the other way had they been different. So, yeah, once again, it's it, that, that's a judgment call. Do we do we tell the public whether we're correct when we're correct? And given the situation, do we have to actually withhold when we're incorrect? Are we mature enough to deal with that information <laughs> if we're presented with it? Yeah, well, well, that's almost taking into account is the answer. Yeah, but it's all, it's taking into account the maturity of the, the, of the fans mm. or the club that feel aggrieved. Mm. It's interesting. <laughs> Look at Bob just smirking and sitting there quietly. I, I just I just sometimes wonder with you. Um, we only seek clarity, like we get the clarity in these when it goes extreme, when it goes very emotional. Is mm. is there something f- uh, uh, to be put out weekly or fortnightly from the umpires around their best, their worst? It's just some a spot. I mean, Sean was a great spokesman, right? Fantastic, then. wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, yeah. strong for, for that to be something more. So the conversation rolls instead of nothing, nothing, nothing. You might be a bit young, Bob, but I remember on the old World of Sport days when I was (laughs) started out playing, they'd get an umpire in and what was it it called? What's your decision? What's your decision? And Pete Cameron had come in or Kevin Smith would be in there and they'd go through decisions and say yes, no, maybe they'd give the – the diatribe surrounding the, those isolated... And it's happened at different times, little... It has. The, the, the complexity in it is when we are given this was correct, so Lysette uh, and Sicily both correct, mm. um, but then they're never paid again. Yeah. So w- which was it? Yeah. <laughs> so you can technically say that was fine, but we're never paying that free magic kick bullet. again because yeah. what's the rest of that sentence? Yep. So... Yeah, it's, maybe it is damned if you do, damned if you don't. And what, what about the overall concept, Kane, of of trying to change the discourse around umpiring in our AFL community? Well, I, I think it's a losing battle, Jared, because for as long as I've been um, playing and following football, there's always that um, that that gap between the fans, the media, and the umpires. But I get uh, what Bob's saying. Perhaps that would be. Uh, the, the gap would be um, joined closer if we could have that information. And, and maybe the, um, the the players don't fully understand the rules just yet, which is a big thing to say for professional footballers. But I saw Aaron Hall last night. He's on the goal line, the point. He could have just walked through the points. He was under We're Just re-watching direct, that here, yep. He was under direct pressure from the opposition. He is uh, 
20 centimetres out. He could just walk over. Kane, do you, think that, do you think that was misunderstanding the rule or wanting or, a little kick? Or, well, yeah. I, I think that's misunderstanding because there was nothing to benefit. I'm not so, so sure he's, about that. For those that missed it, he, he tried to keep it in on the left foot. It, it was only ever going to go out of bounds on the full um, port player was at uh, Lyson to kick a goal. Yep. In, in, yeah, in Drew the put the so, pressure on him. Uh, given given the history of the lad, he wanted to stand up. Mm. Well, uh, but, but the fact that players stopped and regard, I've you played in big, front of big crowds. I've never not been able to hear the whistle. You know, a hundred thousand, uh, ninety odd thousand at the MCG for a prelim final. I've always been able to hear the whistle. I've never stopped. Mm. I've never seen that before ever, even in a grand final where, where, yep. or prelim final. So maybe the players just. Don't understand the rules. That's as what Sean the, was describing. <laughs> Fortunately enough, I'm old enough that I've played back in, before the MCG was developed and played yeah. in front of 115,000, 110,000. You always hear the whistle. You do, and you don't play you? the yeah. whistle. There's never an occasion where you you have to check with the umpire. Did he blow the whistle? That's you the end worst, up worst case the scenario for the yeah. umpire if both teams turn around <laughs> and the crowd. I've lost. And my surely, surely you made the call, did you? Uh, play on, boys. <laughs> not a good. That's not a good moment. Play to the whistle. How are we going to remember the 2019 Anzac Day encounter? For the wrong um, reasons, isn't yep. it, Jared? Because Probably. what a game of footy. I mean, and that's the disappointing thing is that we're sitting here talking about um, umpiring and booing and all that type of thing. But the one-on-one battles, more against Danaher, how yep. good was that? The, the midfield up against midfield. Um, you know, there was Joe Danaher back to his absolute best. Match winners everywhere. On a show. There, there was. It was just an unbelievable spectacle Stringers on the biggest performing. stage. Yeah. Stringer, Stringer's goal. So for the wrong reasons, I think, Jared. I don't think we'll be talking about the, the actual game, which is a shame. Yeah, now the, the, the atmosphere at the end of the game. I'll remember it for the look on Scott Pendlebury's face where... He was dumbfounded, wasn't he? He thanks the crowd. He thanks the crowd. He, get your head around that. He thanks the crowd and they boom. Um, both, he, and he, he's saying the words both groups of supporters. <laughs> I agree with you. Jared, you and I have had discourse yeah, on yeah. this. And, Can we disagree? And, That's okay. And, and uh, it's a wrong moment. It's a day of respect. So it's not great, but... By and large, I've got no problem with booing, and I'm probably the most booed person in history. <laughs> there's, but there's, there's booze and there's booze. So last night, so here's the context of it. You know when a, a player is traded out by his own club, yeah. they, they, yeah. and then they Pittard. come back to play in, the, in their own team. Jasper Pittard last yeah. night, yeah. yeah. It's like it's completely bonkers, and it's wonderful. <laughs> it's that's I'm all for that. Yeah. It's that's when it goes it's WWF. Like the, yeah, it's like but, the, the intro to the Wacky Races, yeah. Dick Dastardly. But but the the, the, pen, the Scott Pendlebury accepting the ends. I mean, it's Scott Pendlebury. On Anzac Day, yeah. he's an ornament he's to the game. Clearly, best on yeah. ground Easily. gets booed. He's yeah. confused. He thanks the crowd. He gets booed. Just it was just off. <laughs> but all, not oh, sorry, all booze, I, I don't find it. I know. If you keep again, laughing at me, Jam, I'm going to boo you. I, <laughs> boo! Yeah. Join the back of the queue. Um, <laughs> it, I wouldn't have done. Oh, I can honestly say, at every sporting event, I've, I've never booed. I just it's don't weird, find I, it's a weird but thing. I reckon if somebody pays him, as long as it isn't, you know, for somebody who's injured. As long as it's not disenfranchising those who are already disenfranchised um, and segregated or, or it's racially motivated, I find absolutely nothing wrong with it. I know I'm out on, the, out on the ledge by myself here, but that's just where I sit. So haven't we had too many examples? Don't, so the qualifiers that you've added in, I could now put names to those mm-hmm. qualifiers. Yeah. Is, but if, but if, it's, if, it's we just disputable. Give, if we keep giving that blanket... Away you go, instead of as a community going, can we be better? 
Should we aim to be better outside? Let, I think it's pretty easy. When you say that, you can put to names to between them. Pantomime it's disputable. And what's not pantomime. It's oh. disputable. I still think when you say you can put names to those that criteria I mentioned, I still think that's disputable. But then we'll never get to a point of going. Um, of having the mature conversation because you'll always excuse it and say, no, there's a caveat in there. That's all right. There's a caveat in there. There's a caveat in there. Well, why can't my side of the argument be mature? Um, you're allowed to – you're absolutely allowed. But if we want to be better, wouldn't we try to have the conversation say, let's strip it back and say that the booing of Ablett at least in part contains social social commentary. And instead of pretending that it didn't, go, it did. So do you because think – Because there was a differentiation – in the Adam Good scenario, the way that degenerated, that may have it may have started as something else, but it didn't finish as that, as it spread as a scourge across the league. We didn't resolve it. The game never was able to take a proper stance, and we ran a, a Hall of Famer out of the game, and that's going to be revisited in a couple of documentaries. If we always contain that, ah, oh, no, there was a bit of this and a bit of that, we'll never get there. Well, as a... Gentleman talking to you, I would dispute the secondary one. Yep. The Ablett one, it's he is a champion. And if he's not on your team, he's evil. He's the wrong guy to be cheering for. And therefore the natural the counterproduct of cheering is booing. He's so good. You boo the bad guy because he's your enemy. That's purely what I think the Ablett thing is. He's completely and utterly welcome to his decision to make on his lifestyle choices and his beliefs. I, I really think at the moment people don't enter into that. That's my belief. Yeah. The, the rest of the on-field is Joe Danaher. Uh, so he's two games in, one off a short break. Is He was denied his whole season last year, essentially. Is he about to be the player that was forecast before he got curbed? I was convinced before last week even... Mm. This is underdone. You're setting him mm. up to fail. Mm-hmm. He's done anything but. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's little bits of his game which he needs to add in, which you can understand. He's played two games. He's a, he's got two games of match fitness, but his ability to mark the ball at the highest point, that mark just on the edge of the goal square at the punt yep. road end, where he outstretched more, and I think Crisp came in from the side. That was towering. That was everything you want of a six foot seven marking Looked player. sharp, didn't he? I, I immediately changed the way I feel about Essendon's hopes for this year. I thought, oh, hello. Dan- Danaher in that kind of sharp form and hmm. marking the ball. That The sidestep and snap, no right to do that when you're over six foot six. There's no, you have no right to be doing that. That's the little bloke's domain, Derm. Come on, get into him now. He's being sizest. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Pen. new one creeping in. <laughs> Boo, <bro. laughs> what about for you, Kane? So I, we know Collingwood. I, I thought Thursday played a really big role in making the case for Essendon. Absolutely. Uh, I think their last month, um, the way they've responded to the start of the year, and it's had to do a lot in part with Hooker coming back and just settling them down. I think he's such an important figure, uh, Carl Hooker. And if you speak to anyone that knows Essendon well, he's a much-loved figure among the playing group. So he is a rock-solid leader, despite I don't think he's in the leadership group anymore. So him, firstly, and then what Danaher's done, they'll they'll really need to look after Joe, I think. Uh, I'm not sure there's anyone... In the competition, uh, name name a player that could do uh, both spectrums of what he did. So take a genuine contested mark, which you described beautifully, Derm, at the edge of the golf square, 
and then do what Bob said at the other end. Is is there anyone in the competition that can do that? I think he's probably the only one that, that can do it at, 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 at in the air and on the ground. So, no, I'm I'm, I'm big on Essendon. Um, I like I like Dylan Shew and the addition of him, despite the criticism of his kicking on the weekend. I think he definitely adds an X factor through the midfield. So, look, I think they play finals. Is she, is she? I haven't watched Dylan Shew and that. Is he is he a good kick who's not kicking the ball well, or is he yes. just not a great kick? He's got a good action. I think he's got good yeah, he's good strike sound. at the footy. He misses constantly. Even at Giants, the, he's, statistically, yep. you could say that he's never nailed his kicking. But he's, he's like a, a bowler with a beautiful action who just keeps mm. bowling wides. He, yeah. he, he just – and I, I think he it just will, lo- He looks like – that's what I look at. He'll have a game where he hits it, it 100%. Like Someday yep. he will come out and hit it 100% because his action's pure. He strikes the ball really well. He just misses. Mm. And th- there's very few – some in history we remember a little like that. Um, I think the one that the Richmond supporters used to always get into was Greg Tivendale. He had a beautiful action but kept yeah. missing the targets. That mm. type He's of... He's not alone though, Derm. No. I mean, the Dangerfield's not a great kick. And Nat Fife is not a great kick. Jordan Ngoi is not a great kick of the football. Sometimes these powerful midfielders are not great kicks of the ball. Power so pepper. He's just got... Power Pepper's a, an average kick. Wines is the same. There's, it's a there's shocking a lot kick, av- Power Pepper. <laughs> average, yeah, average <laughs> kicks in, in the game. Particularly, I think, those bigger body mids. That's why I love Bontempelli, because he's a beautiful kick of the ball. And Patrick Cripps is a great kick of the ball. He doesn't get enough credit for his disposal. Mm. So he just needs to understand his limitations with his kicks, settle himself down when he's running at top speed, take uh, a bit of time to compose himself, and then dispose of it. I, I think he's still smart enough to understand that he just shouldn't go for the really difficult options, just play it safe and perhaps kick it longer. Because he's so balanced, Kane, isn't he, when he actually yeah. strikes the ball? You're expecting precision, purity, you know, in the result, but it just rarely gets done. And a round goal. So last year, 6-14, and this yeah, year, naught seven, and there's mm. a bit of out-of-bounds in the full. So over his career, he's 64-84. Which, so Hutto ran us through it just in the lead-up to the game as to – how he hasn't been able to convert mm. a round goal. So can, can he – he's only had one year where he's kicked more goals than behinds, and that was in his first year when he kicked five goals for. Is it something that he will improve, or is that – I mean, he's a declared commodity, isn't it? This is his eighth year of footy. His, his main uh, – talking commodities – is he can get, get the ball at the stoppage just near the edge of it or right on the edge of it and then draw away. So the zones that, you know, everybody sets out and that we're organised behind the footy, he makes – it's folly to set, to set up a zone if he is playing in that yeah. mood and he gets in that space because he just puts the ball over the top of the opposition zone. And that's – he did that to Melbourne even though he kicked poorly that night. And I thought he was clearly the best player he doesn't on get the a lo- He doesn't get a lot of easy shots at go. He, his shots are on off long runs with pressure. I don't think he, he – his figure might be a little bit skewed if he's not getting front and centre snaps with little pressure. One thing that isn't discussed, and we're getting really analytical here, is he has almost micro fumbles. With the ball, he won't let loose the ball, but he'll tap, grab, tap, grab, tap, grab. He'll motion the ball in his own hands and, like, take the grip off it mm. just ever so slightly, then re-grip it and then re-grip it again and do that several times while he's running with the ball. And I don't know whether that's a contributor to whether he thinks at the final moment he rushes his kick. It upsets rhythm. 
certainly well, does. Yeah, yeah you, 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 you could see that. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, what do you, micro fumble? I think, I think that's he not never to loses be the ball, but he never loses the ball. But he he never has a sure one grip on it, and so that's the way I'm taking it away. It interrupts the decision making. Mm. The takeouts from what we've seen so far in round six for crunchy corn. Corn from the cob roasted to perfection and lightly salted the ultimate footy snack. When we get to the crunch uh, shortly, we're going to delve right into Melbourne. It's probably less of a view of what's been and more of a view of what's to come. So, Kane, before you depart us, give us your snapshot, your analysis of Melbourne six in (laughs) and what comes next. I'd love to know what their defensive meetings were like in the off-season because to me it looks like they've completely overhauled overhauled their system where they're just zoning far too far away from their opponents. So you can zone when it's slow play and the ball's 80 metres away, but what do you do when the ball's within a kick? Melbourne are still trying to zone rather than going to get and lock on an opponent. So that, that's one issue. They need to fix that. The other one is their best two goal kickers from last year are no longer playing in the forward line. Hogan's gone. McDonald's back in defence. Who's going to kick the goals? There's, there's not a renowned goal kicker on their list right now. So they've traded away Jesse Hogan. How do they manufacture a score? That's been an issue for them. So they're the two big ones for me that need to be sorted, um, and that's what I'd be working towards this week. But yeah, there's no way they can play finals from here, unfortunately, I wouldn't think. So what does the rest of 2019 look like for them? Well, you've just got to discover that, fix the, the two issues there, decide where you want to play your personnel. Is McDonald a forward or is he a defender? Um, when is Stephen May coming back? If he's coming back to play defence, then McDonald's got to play forward and forget trying to be a quick fix and a stopgap because he's going to have to be the key forward when May and Lever come back. So... I don't mind the issue with them playing him for a week in defence. They needed to against that opposition. But send him back forward and try and get a winning score and players capable of kicking a score and then sort out your system, which is completely broken at the moment. They've conceded five goals or more in one quarter of footy six times this year. So there's a lack of leadership and a lack of system, a complete breakdown. Mm, It's hard to argue against that. Uh, Quoting a movie, Ditto. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. I mean, it's very just yeah, to on. go in def- in in defence of the Melbourne defenders. If they, if they've been coached all summer and their system is to is to zone off, it just has to have manic pressure on the ball, and that's they just don't have that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. so that this is that this is when trust breaks down in teams because the defenders Start they're, they're made other. to look foolish, and they're not the and the key defenders are not. They're not Lever and May, so they're they're not their first choice, and their trust is broken by mids who won't defend. We'll continue on with this in the crunch shortly. Kane, good on you. Have a great weekend. Kane Corn. So the 40 Winks Serious About Sleep ladder update sees Melbourne fall to the bottom. So North Melbourne got the lift in percentage last night at 69.9 to move to 17th, and Melbourne 69.2 languish on the bottom, while Port Adelaide for the time being occupy third place. They sit behind Collingwood, who will beat their opponent on Friday nights. Both sides always win with bed match, exclusive to 40 Winks. This is crunch time. Great offers on Honda this April and try the new hot grilled paninis at Subway. The crunch, all the topics of the coming weekends with Derm and Bob next. The award-winning crunch time. Get more out of April with great drive-away prices plus bonus value on a huge range of Honda models. Head to Subway and try the new hot grilled paninis. 
This is Crunch Time. Great offers on Honda this April and try the new hot grilled paninis at Subway. Jared Waitley, Dermot Burton and Bob Murphy. The crunch, the issues before us, the ones that will flavour the weekend and still one or two that have flavoured what has been for Scooty, a Scooty two-wheeled taxi, leave boredom behind. Uh, so on Melbourne, Mike Sheehan made the case passionately and there was no Harry Hindsight in it as he was on 360 before the season started. We asked him, was he excited for the year? And he, he wasn't which he was sort of questioning himself as to why. And then we asked him about Melbourne and he said no at that stage. He thought that they weren't a top four team. Then he delved into that yesterday and he had some evidence out of last year as to why we'd all been conned and deluded into thinking Melbourne were the team who were going to take it all by storm. Forgive me, I don't know where I was. What what was that evidence? Uh, their performance against the other top three teams last year, the magnitudes of defeats when they got beaten. Uh, and that was, that was his personal belief. And whether that's revisionist history or whether that's just been borne out as canny insight. Mm. So if they weren't the team that we thought they were, will they be? Can they be? I looked at them last year and, and to that point, which which Mike is you, – you're quoting Mike there, is I watched them in that game against Hawthorne. Obviously, I watched that quite intrinsically. And they were the better team that night. And, but Hawthorne, with an under, much under man, ravaged by injuries, made them nervous in the second half, in the third mm. quarter. And I thought, that's not a real mature team. Uh, they go to, to Perth and I was convinced they were going to get trounced over there. But we move on. I thought they're pretty well catered for across the ground. I thought Tom McDonald might have been a bit better forward, key forward, than what he's proven this year, what he's shown. So he still might get back there. But I thought if there's a team which needs a specific, identified a specific need, it's Melbourne. And they need a quality key position backman. The best one on the market came up, Stephen May, and they went out and got him. And I thought, you know what? The bits of their puzzle are pretty well just complete. Just about complete. No one's got the perfect team laid out on paper, but this is, for a team which made it to a preliminary final, this is just about filling in that final jigsaw piece to the puzzle. So I expected them to be there. What I've seen since is a talented team, a wonderfully gifted midfield who seems to be more hell-bent on winning the ball than accepting the facts and reality that sometimes the opposition win the ball, and once the ball gets outside five, ten metres of the stoppage, the urgency for them to restrict the opposition is nowhere near the urgency they have when they go forward with the ball. So when they sort these matters out, and that's what the rest of this year They've is. started already. Yep. And that is by putting Jake Melksham, who was one of their best one-on-one winning players last year in the inside forward 50, they put him into the midfield last the other night, and I think he was. Hang on, what have we got him at? Third most uh, possession player. He was clearly their best player because he was the one out of those. And as I say, I think they're wonderful. They're quite heroic the way they win the ball. Uh, Oliver, Brayshaw, and Viney. But they're not, and Viney will always have a go, but they're not great at restricting the opposition when the ball gets beyond 10 the other way. So and, do you, but do you Melksham think, does, yep. and that's why I thought he was their best player. He was the best two-way player in the middle of their ground the other night. So you'll you'll hold faith in them for the n- not. I think they're in a hole, yeah. and every team, no matter how good you are, when you're in a hole, things tend to 
It's like having the swollen ankle. You find every crack in the footpath when you walk. When you're in a hole, you find every problem that the opposition can throw against you and your own problems and, and shortcomings. So they're going to have to fight for it. I'm convinced at some stage they'll get on a roll of three or four, five wins in a row, but it doesn't look like happening anytime soon. Okay. And, and Bob, your point is that whatever the future holds, it's not going to be this group that had set themselves up for their run. They're, they're not going to be the ones who do it. No, no. So so things will change. Uh, I think probably Jordan Lewis, this might be his last year. Not sure, but there, There'll be other changes. So I, they're not, I don't think... They're in the position to go out and change things from outside because they've already they've already done that. You you described it, Derm, and I agree with you. you know, they they've brought the the pieces in the foundations for this is this this is the team they want. So it's it's what they can produce from within, and it, it seems to be that the, it's the midfield that needs to be it needs to go to manic pressure. They 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 work, but it's not. You can see it even on the TV that the two way running is not it's not manic. And so Simon Goodwin wants a he wants a zone defence, but that that requires manic pressure Midfield on the ball. Pressure. Yeah, yeah. To, to, for that ball to be now that's finals football, but at the moment it's they're making their defenders kind of look foolish because they're you know they're 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 being coached and told to be brave and stand out in front. That ball comes through just too easily. Are they so one? It's, it's, are they one short in the forward line as well? I think so. Yeah, I think so. But it, it, the the old question with Melbourne is it. This year is it physical? They had eighteen operations, guys coming in really underdone. We've seen Viney, Oliver had you know shoulders done, or is it mental, or is it is it a combination of both? St Kilda play this afternoon in the twilight. Yep. Um, there's still a holdout factor on St Kilda, sort of that stubborn. No, we didn't rate them coming in. Is when do you give yourself over to them? Do you, do you sense that? Opposite to Melbourne. Yep. You lose round one. If you're a team which doesn't really know and you say a hold, I think the footballing world has, has a hold on it because they didn't know. The world didn't know, the footballing world. You lose round one and then somehow you get dudded in round two. I mean, they just beat Gold Coast in round one. How would the world look for them if they had have lost that? So you win one. And the world's a good place. You go to training with purpose, not that you don't when you lose as well, but you have the confidence to experiment and try other things. And they've, they're quite settled now. Um, they've, they've used uh, not as many players as most of the other clubs already. So they're very settled. And they have the, that base now under them where they believe. So it's, a very, it's, it's the flip side to what Melbourne is with probably a deal. They don't take me. <laughs> feel like I'm insulting them with a list which is not as brimming with talent as as Melbourne is. Oh, I think the good news for the Saints is they they're going under the radar to a certain degree, and they they I think they could continue to go under the radar until there's there will be a big announcement game for them. So Adelaide today, I do, I don't because we're not sure what Adelaide are. So if they beat Adelaide today, I don't think it's the big bang statement game necessarily because last week you know I thought oh maybe you know beating Melbourne that's a gee, that's a good win Adelaide are all over the shop so you, you can, yeah, this so isn't we, the statement game on yeah, what, no that's right and drop, Melbane last week well that yeah. that, that wasn't the, they dropped Bryce they, Gibbs they, that's that's kind of a good thing Jenkins. for St Kilda they can keep if they just keep knocking out wins yeah, yeah. they might be getting to round so, well, how they, and typically Adelaide thrashes St Kilda. 
but they're not even close. 104 to 55, 111 to 54, 133 to 45, 119 to 73, 141 to 62. Mm. So if they do get under St Kilda, it will be ignoring the fact that this is a team that pulverises them in recent times. Do you want me to talk about the flowers I should have bought again? <laughs> <laughs> so, But next week, Jared, so they take on GWS at home. That's that's the one I've got circled for the Saints. They go up there and beat them on their home ground. I think mm. that's a big that's the big flag in the dirt game. It, it is a big day for Adelaide, isn't it? As having got the win last week that they absolutely should have got yep. back at home, they get the feel good factor out of Eddie Betts. Is if they have a shred of credibility in season twenty nineteen, we have to see it this afternoon, do we not? Yeah, absolutely. But once again, I said there's no perfect team on on paper. And they are, they're lacking in certain departments of their game. Once the, the, We mentioned it with Melbourne. The Crouch boys, once again, rack up numbers. They make it fairly easy to play against if you're their opposite players. They have no – well, that's where they're bringing in the, the lad Himmelberg, who's genuinely ruckman size. They just want him to compete. Now, they had somebody of genuine Ruckman size who's a key forward, but they've dropped him because he won't compete in the air, Jenkins. So they haven't got a quality aerial competitor in the forward line. Most of their forwards want it a certain way, and that certain way is reliant on their midfield and backline run dominating. Take that away from them. They're a fairly easy team to plan against Adelaide, which won't excite Adelaide supporters, but you can plan against them and if you can execute and you have the players which can execute that plan, you're going to knock them over. St Kilda, I think, have planned pretty well against them. This is The Crunch, the quickest way to leave the MCG. Scooty, your two-wheel taxi. Download the app today. The next game to go is the Q Clash. So the Suns and the Lions, the two teams are unchanged and then it's into the twilight for St Kilda and Adelaide. The Swans have declared... We don't rebuild. We won't rebuild. The wisdom of that we'll Never have. debate next and then cast an eye towards the way the weekend finishes, which is Geelong and West Coast down the highway, and that is a loaded encounter. More on Crunch Time next. We are in the midst of the crunch for Scooty. Make your trip exciting, Scooty. Two-wheeled taxis. The Swans don't believe in rebuilding. Never have. Don't believe in bottom. Maybe bottoming out. Maybe I phrased that wrong. They it's don't part of their market too. Yeah. yeah. They're bottoming out at the moment though, aren't they? Yeah, they're not wanting to. This <laughs> this is not a let's take some pain for the next mm. uh, 66 games, three seasons. Uh, things just not going right for them. They're, whenever they go out in the ground now, they probably are playing, I would say, one to two players who they would not have penciled in as regulars for this season so far. I saw they dropped Ronk this weekend already, who's a talented youngster. I think they've done incredibly well with some of their draft picks and and brought them along nicely. Um, But they're probably playing one or two too many each week. I remember John talking last year about, and and I wrote an article saying I didn't like their game, so I still don't like their game, so I probably haven't under John, but I think he's a tremendous uh, citizen in and around AFL circles and that makes him a good coach because they play for him. It's not an attractive brand to watch and no matter what happens, whether you have 666, within seconds of the first bounce, if the ball goes one certain way, there are 14 to 16 Sydney players down there and they are choking it up. So it's a very taxing game which does not leave their backmen any time to breathe and look at the rest of the field 
while the ball's trapped in their forward half. And it, it basically relies on Lance do, uh, Franklin doing the damage at the other end just through being a superior being to 99.9% of the other AFL footballers. We've, we've spoken to John a couple of times on this show, haven't we, Jared? Where and his own words of how many how many debutants they've had, how many young players they've. So is this just the is this year just the symptom of what's already been a sneaky rebuild anyway? Probably, but if you were going to bottom out, now's the time, isn't it? Once you you reckon you can sell that in Sydney? No, I'm not. I don't know about selling it or not. Mm. But you do can, have to sell to that market. Build, can you build the next wave? If you don't, so if you stay in the in the churn and Sydney, I think um, have heroically stayed in the churn. Mm-hmm. Is you're beating the house. Is Hawthorne, Geelong, and Sydney just keep mm. trying to beat the house? Yeah, the system is loaded that at some stage you won't be able to do that. And is the is the opposite? Does the opposite then come into effect? Dip. The only thing it. I would say, and let's be honest, let's be completely and absolutely honest. For the 18 teams, the spread of talent, the wages paid, the draft, the salary cap, how good do you honestly believe the standard of AFL is right now? Compare it to other eras. Yeah, you're probably actually a better place mm. to answer that. Answer your own question. No. Uh, <laughs> um, Geelong, Hawthorne saw this coming and kept topping up with great players. So they, in eras that were weak, have completely dominated the premiership spectrum there. And the reason being is other teams got weak because of the draw-out of Giants and Suns players, the top end of talent, like 50% of the top 30 picks for several years went to those two teams. And while they're trying to grow and build young men into teams, the other teams are deprived of that talent which comes in, supplements their teams. Hawthorne and Geelong said, you know what, we'll trade out, we'll use you know, all the, 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 the policies at our disposal with um, free trade and the likes, and then they ended up getting stronger. Now that those, well, Geelong is still sort of there without winning a premiership. Now that Hawthorne's dissipated, there's no clear standout teams. And I tend to think, though, that the competition as a true competition doesn't have a clear-cut, stand-out team. So it is anybody's. West Coast won the premiership after a couple of rounds. I thought they're the best team in it. And they still might be now that Rance is out of Richmond for the season. But they've got holes in their team. You go through some of the great premiership teams of just go back three, four years, there was no holes in the teams. There are holes in premiership teams now. So if you can somehow get good players to your club, and Sydney do that, they get good players, marquee players there, they get players who are ready and in the window right now, and then they, with, you know, everybody says crafty drafting, uh, they're able to get some come through. The I don't think you need to bottom out in this day yeah. and age, but if you do and you've started like Carlton, you've got to see that path through. Um, the best of what's left is tomorrow after, or the tomorrow in the twilight. So Geelong and West Coast, the Eagles are coming off a, a loss which will have stung them at home. They head down the highway to face Geelong. How will you look into this, Bob? Oh, it's a massive game. It's kind of a 
a, a perfect storm, and especially with the fifty-year storm down down the coast, because <laughs> the the cats had you know the Giants got the cats a couple of weeks ago down there, so they'll that they'll still be fired up to prove a point to that. They don't want to lose two in a row down there. West Coast who've answered the challenge of hunger this year, I would have thought, but had a had an off one last week. So this is two two heavyweights of this year, toe to toe. It's I mean, pretty tight to tip. Maybe the cats just for the at home, but just for your mate Jared Healy too, he did mention the fifty year storm. Yes. The final at Bells Beach has twenty five and a half minutes to go, and it is between Brazil's Felipe Toledo, who currently leads John John Florence by seven points. So he's only got the one scoring way. But as I said, there's twenty five minutes to go. The final of Bells is on between Toledo and Florence good at one, this point in time. Good one for the sub-editors if Toledo gets up. <laughs> Holy Toledo! Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's got a ribbon on it. <laughs> what, what, what's the tagline? From where you'd rather be. <laughs> um, so what about the you, cats? You should be in advertising. What are you doing? <laughs> what about the cats and the eagles? Uh, for me, Geelong is so good at, at choking that ground, which <laughs> that form line with the Giants and then getting knocked over the next game being last week was... Phenomenal. Um, I don't think the Eagles will be able to deal with the way that Geelong grid that ground out. And I think that uh, there's a little bit of a plan now. The number one weapon with the Eagles is McGovern. I made mention of it last week, is his ability to intercept. Now, the narrowness of the ground, does that mean he can get to more parts of the incoming footy? Or do Geelong just say, hey... Remember what Port Adelaide did? We spear everything. We give nothing any hang time. Oh, sorry, do um, Geelong. Do, uh, we give nothing hang time because we don't want to be intercepted. I think there's a, an ability now to take away the one wood or limit it, the one wood of the Eagles. And Geelong, watching them last week, yeah, they're playing pretty well. And Hawthorne's place? In things, I reckon this is sh- placing things or this game. Yeah, well, probably both because this game. This game shaky. That out. This, I've seen the, the, the not that we talk about the odds. But the I reckon this is going to go really, really close. Once again, a team gets a win and they start to believe Hawthorne's weakness with you know without Tom Mitchell and the likes. Although they get Shield back and that's two of their best four midfielders back in. But Carlton are fairly well served around the foot. And I, I like the team Carlton are putting on the deck. If Kernay can get out there as well, I think this is a really close thing. I think Hawthorne will, yeah, some people say, oh, they'll slide. They finished fourth last week, lost two finals. So technically I think they finished sixth. But they were fourth with, well, would they get 15 wins, I think. They ain't winning 15 this year. I think they're a 12-10 team at best, maybe an 11-11 team at best. But having said that, there's a couple of boys playing for Hawthorne. I I know, looking at league footy, they are just not ready. And and harking back to not so much even yesteryear, your lists catered that if you got a couple of injuries, you were still able to bring in somebody who was ready to play league football, whether he was a journeyman or whether he was making the grade. By virtue of the fact that we've set up our competition, you draft. You are drafting 18-year-olds. Some of them, you know, they're good. You've got to draft them. But they need to be developed for three years. Some of these boys are being played at AFL level in one year. They're not ready. And Hawthorne have a couple of them. 
Charlie Kerno came in and Casbolt held his place as Blues fans had well forecast. They were all over this as soon as we hit Monday and Paulson makes way, so they're loaded up. They're loaded up with the tools, aren't they? I mean, they were good last week. The, 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 their tools dominated the Bulldogs last week and and they'll have their work cut out again over in the West this week, the Dogs. But, I mean, Harry Mackay, that was, that's the sort of – that's the announcement game, isn't it, where he's just – He's a, he's a three weeks ago. He was fantastic. We were talking about he's taken the most contested marks in the opening three games of any season ever, and then against the Suns, I thought he's running into the wrong spots. His timing's out. His hands are flat. The ball's yeah. bouncing off them. Thought he might just be ready to taper off, and then he comes out and does that. Yeah. Next he was. Week. He was that, yeah. that stat came out, and he, he was playing well, but it did surprise. A lot. I thought, oh wow, yeah, like us. Nice. He has taken a lot of contested marks. Yeah. Last week he was dominant. He re- he he was he dominated the ground last week. The crunch, the quickest way to leave the MCG. Scooty your two wheeled taxi. Download the app today. So that's it, Derm, Bob. You don't well want done. us to call through the last twenty-one <laughs> minutes of the uh, Rip Curl Pro. Holy Toledo! Going to get it in the exact right moment. <laughs> Next to go, the Q Clash, the Suns and the Lions, then the Saints and the Crows. That's where I'll be. And the day tidies out with the Sydney Derby and the Dockers and the Bulldogs. This has been crunch time for Honda this April. And try new hot grilled paninis at Subway. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.